This is an RNZ podcast. While Donald Trump was energising his supporters with unsupportable claims of electoral fraud and scandalising the rest of the US at the same time, the final votes were of course yet to be counted. And soon after that, the final count in our election was revealed here. And that meant that two National Party MPs who seemed to have won on the night ended up in second place with no place in Parliament. One was Northland MP Matt King who swiftly declared that he wanted a recount to be sure that the narrow margin no longer in his favour was actually correct. But having slept on it, he decided yesterday not to ask for one, and then called his rival candidate Willow Jean Prime to congratulate her, and then thank the people of Northland for the privilege of representing them. And while that was a bit of a contrast with what was going on in the White House... So too was the top tier of our government that was unveiled once our results were official. Lots uh, of focus on the high number of, of Māori in Cabinet, the diversity in Cabinet. Uh, this is clearly the most diverse Cabinet we've ever had, surely. That was Morning Report's Corin Dan last Tuesday, the morning after Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern announced her new Cabinet, raising one of the big talking points with RNZ's political editor, Jane Patterson. And the gender gap really starting to close up. Eight out of 20 in Cabinet are women, 13 out of the 28 in the broader executive, and five Māori in Cabinet. And not just in those Māori-specific portfolios, but across very senior portfolios. And Kelvin Davis taking on Oranga Tamariki. Um, the Labour caucus flexing their muscle and getting some really good positions, but there will be expectations on them to deliver in those areas. Poverty, housing, justice, corrections, you name it. And a few minutes later, Corin Dan had more questions about diversity at the top tier of our government for Grant Robertson, the brand new Deputy Prime Minister. There has been a lot made of the diversity of this cabinet. You would be the first, New Zealand's first openly gay Deputy Prime Minister. Is that important? Well, I think what's most important is that I do the job well, and that's what I've focused on over the last three years as Finance Minister. Um, I do that job on behalf of all New Zealanders. But I also think it's important for young people in the rainbow community to know that their sexuality is no barrier to them progressing. So from that perspective, um, I, I take that role as a role model seriously, but the job is fundamentally about working for all New Zealanders to deliver the programme we promised. Now, Grant Robertson's sexuality was an issue when he challenged for the party's leadership in the past, and some of the party's more conservative and religious members didn't support him. But apart from that question on Morning Report this week, it wasn't much of an issue. However, the ethnic origins of many new ministers certainly was, as we'll hear. Now, in general terms, diversity in politics these days is a more sensitive issue. Incorporating it and demonstrating it has become increasingly important for any political party which claims the right to represent a country where people now come from a wide range of ethnic origins and social backgrounds. And with that in mind, it wasn't particularly surprising that Judith Collins made headlines when she said she wouldn't be considering diversity when she picked her new lineup after she became the National Party leader back in July. Back then, she told Magic Talk Radio she would not be distracted by people's gender or ethnicity. And on Morning Report, she said this. Because you said at the time of the debate around the front bench with Todd Muller, you questioned whether there was something wrong with you being white. Well, is it? Is there something wrong with being white? But that's not the point, is it? The question is about well, when the statistics show that Māori and Pacific Islanders and others are so disadvantaged that they need representation. Well, I think we know that. At that time, Ms Collins said diversity shouldn't always be a matter of ethnicity or gender, but diversity of thought. And on News Talk ZB during the election campaign, she turned that onto the political reporters. The press gallery... I think they could really do with some diversity of age, 
diversity of experience, diversity of political thought, and actually to get out more and meet more people. But when the votes were counted on October the 17th, National were left with just two Māori MPs and just one of Asian origin, Melissa Lee. And other MPs from ethnic minority backgrounds were too far down the list to make it back, and only 11 out of 35 MPs left were women. Now, the National Party was heavily criticised for that in the media, and after the first caucus meeting post-election, Judith Collins changed her tune on diversity when reporters raised the issue again. But we're not going to take that for granted, and we're absolutely um, going to be very focused on making sure that we take use of, make use of the very kind offers of assistance we've had today. Now, by contrast, the Labour and Green MPs we've just elected are a more diverse bunch. As many pundits have pointed out in the media, the coming Parliament will have more women and more people from ethnic minority backgrounds than ever before. And some in the media were beating the drum for more at the top tier of government too. For example, the morning after the election, Stuff's Māori Affairs correspondent Carmen Parahi wrote that that was the only way to start fixing serious social inequities, and she singled out one MP for promotion like this. Labour's Māori MPs need to demand more ministerial roles and seek to put Peony Henare in as a health minister. He earned his stripes during the last term as an associate health minister. In a post-election interview the same day, Labour's Hauraki Waikato MP Nanaia Mahuta told Māori Television that Prime Minister Ardern should appoint a Māori MP to be Health Minister and she backed Pini Henare for that job too. And Pini Henare himself then seemed to take the advice, putting his hand up for the job in an Instagram post, which curiously vanished after just a couple of days online. And that prompted Heather Duplessy-Allen on her News Talk ZB Drive show to call a Health Minister from a previous national-led government, Jonathan Coleman. Jonathan, give me your verdict. If you were in charge of these appointments, would you give him the job? No. <laughs> Why not? Uh, because I think there's better candidates. Jonathan Coleman went on to say that Penny Henare actually might be a good minister after all. You know, it may be, well be a risk worth taking. I mean, she will see a lot of Penny Henare behind the scenes, which none of the rest of us have seen. But look, he's been a very competent uh, minister. He's a smart guy. Um, and, you know, he's won his seat back, and he will be looking to gain some leverage, not only for himself, but also the Maori caucus. And if he can get that portfolio and make a success, that will see his stakes rocket. But it's also high risk for him as well, as well as for the government, um, should Jacinda Ardern uh, promote him to that position. Now, that was a pretty measured assessment, really, from a former political foe, but News Talk ZB put it online with the headline... Jonathan Coleman, there's great risk if Henare becomes health minister. And on Nine to Noon's politics slot the same week, right-leaning pundit Brigitte Morton also said the Prime Minister shouldn't pick Pini Henare for health minister. For Jacinda Ardern, she needs to have someone that is seen by the public as a safe pair of hands. He may be a safe pair of hands in terms of how he operates, but people don't know who he is. Yeah. So in terms of trying to raise his profile with a bit of a stunt like this, mm. maybe that's one way of doing it, but I don't think it's going to pull off for him. As an associate health minister during the last term of government, he helped to establish a new Māori health authority. He dealt with whānau order issues and civil defence disasters as emergency management minister. And the public may not know all that, but the Prime Minister and her party certainly did. And in the end, he was made Minister of Defence. A Māori minister who is better known to the public, though, is Kelvin Davis, the Labour Party deputy who won't become Jacinda Ardern's deputy prime minister this term because, he says... He told her he didn't want that job. But even before that, plenty of pundits in the media were saying he shouldn't have the job, including Tim Beveridge on News Talk ZB's Weekend Collective show. Um, I've got a 
question for you, Shane, which I'm a bit uncomfortable asking, but I'm just going to dive straight in, uh, which is it's based on an opinion of mine as well, that in the, um, in the, the, the COVID lockdown, Kelvin Davis, as tourism minister, was largely invisible. People were, you know, the tourism industry were crying out for a presence. He was largely invisible in the campaign. He clearly isn't the second most talented um, MP in the Labour Party, and the only reason he's number two is tokenism. So is that really the reason, the way we should be electing, um, choosing our Deputy Prime Minister? Seven days before the Prime Minister picked her new cabinet, Catherine Ryan on Nine to Noon described the Māori caucus as oversized and ambitious. It is large, disproportionately large, and it will be wanting a, a significant portion of the power pie. And one week later, some of them got those cabinet spots. There are now five Māori in cabinet and eight ministers in the executive. Māori ministers now hold key portfolios including children, Māori education, Māori development, Māori health, conservation, fisheries, defence and foreign affairs. The Prime Minister told reporters this. This is a cabinet and an executive that is based on merit, who also happen to be incredibly diverse and I'm proud of that. And her pick as the first ever female and Māori Minister of Foreign Affairs then told News Hub this. I hope that many other women of uh, Māori descent, mixed descent uh, across New Zealand will see this as uh, lifting the ceiling once again. But that was not how former ACT MP Stephen Frank saw it as a guest on the panel on RNZ National that same day. What, what was it called? Representing the people that we are. Um... I would never pick a rugby team to represent the people that we are. I wouldn't pick anyone. I wouldn't pick a surgeon. I wouldn't pick anyone for a really hard job to represent the people we are. I look for people who have demonstrated they can, they've been through tough times, they can do the hard stuff, they've held together a team or created a business or done something that shows they're competent. But our whole politics is now about creating diversity shop windows. And uh, I think her real problem was she just had a very poor um, pool because there is so much diversity now in politics instead of competence. That notion that this was diversity instead of competence was immediately challenged by fellow panellist Pam Corkery and Professor of Politics at Massey University, Matthew Shaw. If I can just come in on that one, I'm not sure that I'd necessarily draw a, you know, a distinction between diversity and the lack of competence, which is sometimes a inference when we have conversations around meritocracy. I mean, we can look at cabinets which have been quite different in terms of their gender or, or ethnic makeup, and, and the question around um, merit could reasonably be asked of a number of former ministers as well. But Stephen Franks insisted this was a matter of principle and not personal, but he then backed up his opinion with personal experience of the new Foreign Affairs Minister, Nanaya Mahuta. The idea that she would um, stand in the shoes of Winston Peters and impress uh, New Zealand's interest on, in foreign portfolios I think is really quite funny but I imagine because we're in COVID there won't be a great deal of, of travel and the Prime Minister thankfully has got the security responsibility so mostly I, I think she'll probably do the Was job. Was it because she also, uh, the Prime Minister said she demonstrated an extraordinary ability to communicate across peoples and one of the... I was just telling yeah. you that I was in a committee where she never communicated with anyone. And it turned out Stephen Franks wasn't the only one in the media saying that Naya wouldn't have got the job of foreign minister if she'd been able to travel to foreign countries. Jacinda Ardern has managed to get another member of the Māori caucus into cabinet. She's cunning, cunningly done it at a time when the borders are closed so the foreign minister won't be going anywhere for a while, so kind of low risk, hopefully.
That was News Talk ZB's Heather Duplessy-Allen on her drive show last Monday. Now, even if foreign ministers can't travel overseas, the job can, of course, be done using modern communications and meeting people face-to-face here who represent other countries. They're called ambassadors. And that issue came up again on the same show when Heather Duplessy-Allen chatted to News Talk ZB political editor Barry Soper on Monday about how the Prime Minister had juggled the demands of the Māori caucus. With mentioned Penny Hinare uh, in um, defence, that's a big portfolio. Mm. So I think, yeah, I think she's traded them well. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Jeez, uh, Nanaya in foreign foreign affairs. What can you do? But at least, as I said earlier, um, gates are closed to the country, so probably we're safe. We've, we've got her here for now, so low risk, very low risk. News Talk ZB's political editor Barry Soper did point out Nanaia Mahuta had been on Labour's front bench since Helen Clark was a Prime Minister and she was an Associate Minister of Trade in this past term. Though Heather Duplessy-Allen then went further in her daily editorial saying Nanaia Mahuta only got the role because Kelvin Davis didn't get the Deputy Prime Ministership. It is a loss for the very strong and very pushy Māori caucus. So regardless of the real reason, that would have created quite the balancing act for Ardern who would likely have had to compensate them for this, right? So according to some of the pundits lately, National failed because they ended up with too few Māori MPs and too little diversity. But put crudely, some of the same pundits are now saying Labour left themselves open to over-promoting Māori MPs because they have too many and they're too ambitious as a block. And as we've heard, Heather Duplessy-Allen is not the only one who seems to think that. Should media pundits be free to say if they think a new minister is the wrong person for the job? Well, of course, but Māori ministers also deserve not to be discounted just because of their ethnicity before they've even started in their jobs. The new elevated role for Nanaia Mahuta in Cabinet will also have an knock-on effect on the Māori media, ironically not much mentioned by the media when focusing on her unexpected ascension in foreign affairs. She will no longer be the Minister for Māori Development, and in that portfolio she oversaw a long and ultimately inconclusive review of Māori media. Now as part of that, Nanaia Mahuta proposed in June this year the creation of a single state-funded broadcast news service to feed all Māori TV, radio and online platforms. And it was an idea that met with strong criticism from journalists and media outlets alike, who all complained it would reduce variety and choice in Māori broadcast news. And in this, they had an ally in the government, Associate Māori Development Minister Willie Jackson. Now in this, they had an ally in the government, Associate Māori Development Minister Willie Jackson, a broadcaster before he became an MP, and also the former Chief Executive of Radio Watea, the station run by the Manukau Urban Māori Authority, of which he was formerly the chair. And in the new cabinet, he's now the Minister of Māori Development, so don't expect to see that single news service proposal reappear any time soon. Meanwhile, his cabinet colleague Chris Farfoy has retained his broadcasting and digital media portfolio. And before the election, Chris Farfoy said that he intended to pursue a new public media entity to replace state-owned TBNZ and RNZ. And he also told the main journalist union Air 2, just before the election, that Labour would deliver a contestable fund for public interest journalism, which would pay out $75 million over three years. 
Now, this is a proposal that's excited non-broadcast news media who've never had anything like that sort of money from the taxpayer to call on before. But after the 2017 election, Labour's promise of $38 million more million a year for public media never came to pass, even though it was there in the manifesto. So media executives will be reading next month's briefing to the incoming minister as closely as the minister himself.